This podcast is entitled Three Books on Empathy Reviewed, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It contains bonus material not in the original blog post about how I came to review one of the books, The Rutledge Handbook of the Philosophy of Empathy. This podcast is delivered by Lou Augusta, copyright Lou Augusta, and the Chicago Empathy Project. Up front, I provide background and context for a discussion of empathy. The following, this is not the truth with a capital T, but consider the possibility. Empathy is a form of relatedness to another person. Many forms of relatedness exist. These forms of relatedness extend from the affectionate, aggressive, ambivalent, avoidant, bullying, hostile, insecure, insincere, intimate, all the way to manipulative, masochistic, sincere, sadistic, tentative, terrorizing, therapeutic, troublesome, and so on. Forms of relatedness. Empathy constitutes authentic relatedness. Authentic relatedness to another person, to another individual. The defining characteristic of empathy is being in the presence of another person without anything else getting in the way. Being in the presence of another human being. One gets one's humanity from the other individual in the form of authentic relatedness. When one individual loses the other person, one loses one's humanity. Speaking in the first person to induce empathy, when I lose the other person, then I am left lifeless, apathetic, lacking in vitality, in short, depressed. This idea occurs in the work of Heinz Kohut, the innovator responsible for putting empathy on the map even prior to discovery of a hypothetical mirror neuron system, itself a matter still being debated. Another of Kohut's celebrated statements was that empathy is like oxygen for the soul. So if you, dear reader, dear listener, have been experiencing a shortness of breath due to life's stresses, the commitment of this work is to contribute to expanding the empathic oxygen available to your soul albeit in a rigorous and critical way. The first empathy book reviewed here is a very good book indeed. It helps one to breathe easy. Lots of oxygen here. William Miller's Listening Well, The Art of Empathic Understanding, published by Whipf and Stock, 114 pages, is a very short book indeed admirably concise. My short review is that, as I am the author of three academic and two how-to books on empathy, Miller's book is the book that I wish I had written. Miller's Listening Well contains the distilled wisdom of his several decades of practicing listening as the royal road to expanding empathy. Listening Well is a how-to book. But the author is adamant that such a skill lives and flourishes in the context of a commitment to being empathic, key term, being. 
I hasten to add, though Miller's is the book I wish I had written, my own publications on empathy are significant contributions, and I shamelessly urge the reader to check them out and get them on the short list too. More to the point, being with the other person without judgments, labels, categories, diagnoses, evaluations, and so on, is what empathy is about most authentically. It is not that such assessments do not occur. We almost can't stop judging and assessing. Such judgments do occur, but they are almost always such as to get in the way of authentic empathy. Listening well, the book, is way too short to be a textbook, but I can see it as being useful in a workshop, seminar, or as exercises in class. In case you're unaware of William Miller's background, he is the innovator behind motivational interviewing. Listening well, the practice, not just the title of the book, is at the heart of this approach. In turn, the practice of listening well is based on empathic understanding. Miller is explicit in invoking the work of Carl Rogers. Rogers, who lived 1902-1987, was one of the founders of humanistic psychology. And Rogers' person-centered psychotherapy provides the foundation for this results-oriented intervention. Two out of two thumbs up for William Miller's Listening Well, The Art of Empathic Understanding. The second book I am reviewing is by Chris Beam. Chris Beam is a would-be bad girl. She's a bad girl, in quotation marks, who has written a very good book. In a world of constrained, limited empathy, the empathic person is a nonconformist. Beam is one of those, and she succeeds in sustaining a nuanced skepticism about the alternating hype and overvaluation of empathy over against those who summarily dismiss empathy. Most ambivalently, she calls out the corporate infatuation with empathy. I paraphrase the corporate approach. Take a walk in the other person's shoes in order to sell them another pair. In Beam's book, I Feel You, The Surprising Power of Extreme Empathy, Houghton Mifflin, 251 pages. Chris Beam makes empathy present. She brings forth empathy in her engagement with difficult cases that challenge the reader's empathy, including her own conflicts and issues. In, in the process of struggling with, against, and for empathy, she succeeds in bringing forth empathy and making empathy present for the reader. From an empathic point of view, I can think of no higher praise. It gets personal. Beam reports that she is a survivor of a floridly psychotic mother and a father who, at least temporarily, and probably to save himself, abandoned Chris to her fate with that woman. As a teenager, Beam escapes to her father and his second marriage only to be rejected when she comes out as a lesbian 
some years later. Fast forward to Beam's own second marriage, both to women. Beam's partner announces that the partner, at the time, a she, is committed to transitioning to becoming a man. You got to get the picture. Beam's married to this woman, and the woman says, hey, I'm committed to transitioning to becoming a man. Chris decides to support her, her becoming him, and sticks with it through the top surgery and administering the testosterone shots. The partner tells Beam, quote, I love you always, end quote, in parentheses, regardless of my gender. Beam decides to believe the partner. See what I mean? You can't make this stuff up. Nor is this a softball review, and I decisively disagree with Beam when she says that empathy is, quote, mutual vulnerability, and approvingly quotes Andre Keat, there are no neat boundaries between victim, perpetrators, beneficiaries, and bystanders, page 191. To be explicit, the disagreement in the midst of many, many overlapping agreements and inspiring matters, the disagreement is about the matter of boundaries. While such a statement, as just quoted, is descriptively accurate, there are no neat boundaries between victim, perpetrator, beneficiators, and bystanders. While such a statement is descriptively accurate, once the father walks, leaving the psychotic mother and the child behind, the commitment of empathy is to respect boundaries and, more to the point, reestablish them when the boundaries have broken down, been violated, or, in this case, have not ever, ever existed from the start. Empathy is all about boundaries, and Beam, like so many of us, has her share of struggles with them. No easy answers here, but one final thought as my personal response to Beam's thought-provoking and inspiring work on empathy. My thought. We may usefully consider the poet Robert Frost, quote, good fences make good neighbors. I add, there is a gate in the fence, and over the gate is written the word empathy. The third book reviewed here is the Rutledge Handbook of the Philosophy of Empathy, Rutledge Publishing, 410 pages. It has a truly ugly hardcover price of $151. Even after the Amazon discount, as publishers continue to respond to economic pressures by squeezing the life out of traditional print books that one can hold in one's hand. The recommendation, have the library, the college library, the university library, the metropolitan city library, order a copy. The paperback, the paperback is about $54, a better price, but nothing to write home about, and these organizations have budget precisely for such matter. The present review of the Rutledge Handbook of the Philosophy of Empathy comes into being as a result of my engagement with this handbook. I 
reviewed in writing each of the 33 articles in it, but I did not publish all of those reviews. In most cases, I found that pursuing the references and notes stimulated an engaging and an important fan out, providing context for understanding each of the 33 authors of the handbook, their contribution in the individual articles. Each reference led to at least two other references, which in turn led to two more. You see the challenge. In some cases, this fan out illuminated and illustrated an otherwise complex article in a flash. In other cases, it was further grist for the mill, advancing the conversation about empathy in directions the article's author may or may not have envisioned. Commenting on an article charitably and critically requires taking a position on the topic at hand. For example, if one decides, as a critic, to disagree with the author's definition of empathy or other issue, then one is required, as the reviewer, sensibly enough to say what one thinks empathy is. The review, of course, was too long for any scholarly or academic journal to publish. A blog post seemed too small scale a format for such a substantial effort. Therefore, I decided to send each of the individual authors a draft of my review with a request that they read it for factual accuracy, key term, factual accuracy. I was gratified with the prompt and generous response with which I was received. Inevitably, in addition to useful corrections of detail, for which I am grateful, I received responses that were opinions about my opinions. In all cases, these were thoughtful, relevant, and useful. I noted the date of the responding email and preserved it in a PDF for future reference as appropriate. I then went back over the draft reviews, incorporating the guidance, additional considerations, arguments, and reflections. I provide a basic orientation and commentary corresponding to each of the major sections in the handbook, encompassing material that was on background, providing context, but not necessarily material that belonged in the specific review in question. Since such work is modularly designed, the reader of the book, a critical review of a philosophy of empathy, can skip directly to any review that is of particular interest about or without loss of too much continuity. Still, a book-length treatment was required to do justice to the extent and detail of confronting and reviewing the 33 articles in question. Thus, the book, a critical review of a philosophy of empathy came into being available with your favorite online bookseller. So I have read, reviewed, and struggled with not only the tangled history of empathy from the philosopher David Hume to modern day mind reading to mirror neurons, but with all 33 articles as a would-be empathic contribution for those who come after me. In many cases, I resonated empathically with each of the 33 articles, bringing a rigorous and critical empathy to the article based on my life experiences. Sometimes the article clicked. It worked for me. In other cases, I had to activate top-down empathy, trying to create a context for a conversation in which 
All I can otherwise see is an effort to maximize the number of stipulations that can be made to dance on the head of a pin, the pin being, in this case, empathy. How many? It seems about two dozen distinctions. You can get about two dozen distinctions in an article of the length in the Rutledge Handbook of the Philosophy of Empathy, in each article. So that's about two dozen times 33. Lots of distinctions. In every case, in reviewing the article, in my own published book-length review, a critical review of a philosophy of empathy, I try to be charitable. But in some cases, the empathy meter goes in the direction of tough love. In one or two cases, I acknowledge my empathy breaks down completely in the face of academic over-intellectualization, an obvious occupational hazard in philosophy, one to which I sometimes have succumbed myself, but one that needs to be firmly contained in an engagement with a critical and rigorous empathy. And I simply recommend hitting the delete button or a complete rewrite from scratch. A handbook promises to be a comprehensive engagement with the issues. So it is with deep regret that I call out the fundamental incompleteness. Several. Nothing on education. Philosophers are not educators. Socrates was not a teacher. Mary Gordon's program, The Roots of Empathy, also the name of her book, includes bringing a baby into the grammar school classroom, too developmental, too psychological. How about Gopnik's The Philosophical Baby? That's the name of a book, The Philosophical Baby. Also missing is the alternative point of view. The neurohype around mirror neurons is well represented in the handbook. But what about the alternative point of view that such an entity as mirror neurons does not even exist in humans and that the neurological infrastructure has a different configuration? Footnote, C. Gregory Hickok, the Myth of Mirror Neurons, The Real Neuroscience of Communication and Cognition, published by W.W. W. Norton and Company. Just a moment of skepticism. We turn to the article on evolution. In the evolutionary context of empathy, we get an engagement with the subject of variation and natural selection, but missed are the role of human mother-child matrix in the development of affective empathy, the empathizing, the empathizing effect of female sexual selection on male aggressions. Women make men nicer on a good day. And the development of perspective taking in group selection in empathy as a cheater detection system, key term, cheater detection system, and empathic cruelty. Empathy and morals are well represented, but little about social justice, overcoming prejudice, building bridges between disparate individuals and communities, or the tough related issues. I'm just getting warmed up here. Other incompletenesses are more fundamental, methodological. Empathy is not just the object of the inquiry, but it also needs to be the subject of the inquiry. We get our humanity from the other individual. The other humanizes me. And the other's artistic expressions and social contributions. This is subtle, so let me give an example. Expand your empathy. 
go to the art museum and enjoy art online. Deepen your empathy. Attend the symphony. Enjoy symphonic classical music or whatever kind of music inspires you online. Broaden your empathy. Study a foreign culture or indigenous community. Stretch your empathy. Read literary fiction. The engagement with aesthetics expands, trains, and develops our empathy. Likewise, with the engagement with the other person. How does that work? The contributors seem not to have considered the possibility. Instead, empathy is on the defensive in too many places in the handbook under review. Empathy is not represented as something of value that needs no apology and is worthy, along with, say, compassion and motherhood, worthy of active promotion and expansion as a benefit to the community. Strangely enough, the breakdowns, failures, and misfirings of empathy, emotional contagion, conformity, projection, communications lost in translation, these are mistaken for empathy itself as if empathy could not misfire or go astray. Nevertheless, bright spots appear. As Sidney Shoemaker points out in his article, the solution to a so-called parochial empathy that is limited to the in-group is empathy itself, expanded empathy. Expand the boundaries of the community to be inclusive of those previously excluded. No doubt, easier said than done, but that is not a limitation of empathy itself, but of our need for expanded empathy training and the practice of empathy. The battle is joined. Dan Zahavi, an otherwise impeccable and astute phenomenologist, enters into apologetic worrying about the conundrum. Can we really ever appreciate, understand, and empathize with another person's experience without having had a similar experience? Or words to that effect. Zahavi makes good use of the phenomenon Max Shaler to show that indeed we can, with the exception of the contributor to the handbook, Jennifer Robinson, on empathy and music. What is not called out or even hinted at is that the encounter with the other person, the encounter with art, music, and literature enhances and expands our empathy. In a world of limited empathy, the empathic person is a nonconformist. I wish I could write, this handbook is overflowing with nonconformists. Happily, there are some, and they produce several excellent articles. Zahavi, Gallagher, Ickes, Denim, Debes, Holon, and John, that is Eileen John but it is otherwise filled with over-intellectualization, stipulations, neurohype, inaccurate phenomenological descriptions, mostly by the neurophilosophers, not the phenomenologists, and tortured conceptual distinctions lacking in empathy. Seven good articles out of 33 is a modest harvest. One expects a handbook on empathy would make empathy present for the reader in the long, dreary march through 397 pages, 33 articles. I thirsted for it. Eileen John comes closest to doing so, and she is able to marshal the resources of empathy in the context of literature to help her get over what is admittedly a high bar. 
The scandal of this handbook is that amid so many conceptual distinctions relating to empathy, empathy itself, empathy as a presence in the encounter with the reader, with the listener, goes missing, except in this one out of three articles. What I am saying is that, with few exceptions, largely concentrated in the contributions of Heidi Maybaum and issues with her editing, there is nothing wrong with this handbook. But there are so many things missing, it is hard to know where to start with them. The practice of empathy is the source out of which emerge the 10,000 empathic distinctions in this handbook. Key term, practice. Thinking and writing informed by the practice of empathy is the ultimate missing link. Reviewing each of the 33 articles in the handbook requires a book-length treatment in itself. Therefore, I have provided one. Entitled, A Critical Review of the Philosophy of Empathy. Two pairs press, 162 pages, $10 US, available online, in which extensive background on the issues is also engaged. In short, this is a book about the book and is the complete book review. Each of the articles is reviewed in detail with separate and substantial sections orienting the reader to the issues pro and con, engaged under core problems, history, understanding, mind reading, morals, aesthetics, cultural issues, all relating to empathy. The recommendation, check out the review. Price to cover, printing plus a latte and biscotti for the reviewer prior to engaging with the handbook. You may get 80% of the value of the review and you will not be bored.